Hello and welcome to the Union Jews podcast. Yes, hello and welcome. Hope you're all safe and well. In this episode, we've got Andrew Pakes telling us all about Prospect's root and branch rebranding exercise. And you think rebranding is not relevant to unions? You need to listen. You'll think again, I'm sure. We've got Becky Wright talking about how to communicate in a crisis. And we've got news bites and a roundup of what's happening from around the UK as unions continue to support their members and the public magnificently in this time of coronavirus. First up this week, though, I want to give a big shout out to the trade union movement in general in, in Britain and overseas as well, but particularly here in the here in the UK. It's been a standout performance on, over COVID. Standout performance. You, you you know, when unions need to step up to the mark, my goodness, haven't we done ourselves proud in terms of engaging with our members, protecting our members, forming public policy, making sure the things that are important to keep the country going and to get the country to a stage of recovery are going to happen. A couple of stats uh, that came my way in this past week. Uh, Chart Society of Physiotherapy, representing 59,000 physiotherapists, 55% opening rate for emails that head office has sent out to members. That's normally about 30%. So that level of engagement, the union message cutting through, clearly important. Over 200,000 visits to their website. 200,000 visits to their website for a union of 59,000 people shows that the CSP has got it right in terms of how it engages with members who need information, who need support. National Education Union, um, National Education Union, they're talking about a five-figure increase in membership. Five figures, more than you know, more than ten thousand increase, eight hundred new reps as a result of this. Um, one of their uh, one of their assistant general secretaries um, said uh, on a webinar I was on earlier this week that that. Uh, you know, and he put all sorts of caveats around this, but I, I know what he meant when he said it. He said, we, we've had a good crisis in the sense that members clearly feel secure, they feel protected, they feel in, in, engaged with. So, you know, the unions are at the forefront of keeping this country together, at the forefront of looking after the interests of working people, forefront of public policy, a big shout out to UK unions. And as I've said before on this podcast, if you look at the TUC COVID portal you'll find a list of all the affiliated unions and links to all the stuff they've done on covid so if you if you google tuc unions covid you'll get there and the url will be in the blog piece that accompanies this podcast now in the week that's just gone we've seen the now traditional annual national posty day the day in which uh, we set aside to recognise the contribution that postal workers make to our economy. They are, of course, vital parts of the key worker contingent in the current COVID crisis. And it's therefore kind of funny that their employer, the largest employer of postal workers in the country, Royal Mail, has decided unilaterally to cut Saturday deliveries. Now, Royal Mail have said this is because they've got terrible shortages, people off staff, uh, people off uh, sick or self-isolating or, or, or whatever. They've said it's just a temporary measure. But if the company was acting in good faith, then why did it not talk to the recognised union, the Communication Workers Union, uh, uh, of course? Now, this has caused great consternation and anger uh, amongst 
uh, union reps, as you could well imagine. Uh, taken from a CW Facebook Live uh, broadcast uh, last week, here's their Deputy General Secretary, Terry Pullinger. It really is chaos here. It's industrial vandalism. I've said that before. Uh, whether they're lashing out, whether there's this, I, I don't know what the reason is for it, but it doesn't make sense. It won't work operationally, cooperation. They, they will not all the goodwill that has been enabling us to deliver this great public service through this crisis. And when you think of that, our members on the front line here, you know, put themselves in arms way to do this. And this is the gratitude they get back from, from their employer. But just trying to deliver this massive operational change in the way they are, it will just, goodwill will evaporate from all of our members, I know that. And they will see this is going to be extremely difficult. Equally, of course, our union is sitting there with a yes vote for industrial action in defence of our members in this great public service. The only reason we haven't enacted that is because we immediately realised that our nation would need us and that our, our members would be crucial to keeping the nation connected. And we agreed with the employer that we wouldn't take any, uh, we wouldn't take any industrial action if they stepped back from any aggressive attempts to impose their plan. This is clearly one of them. This nonsense that they're doing it to ease the pressure off our members is complete nonsense. They are deliberately, as they imagine or they think we're coming out of this pandemic, they're starting to instigate their plans and this won't be temporary. This will be their position going forward. And if they succeed in that, not only do we lose a day off the USO, but we stand to lose 20,000 of our workers as well. Well, I completely get what Terry's saying there. If this was an employer acting in good faith, you would expect there to be a level of dialogue, transparency, openness. You would know where the red lines were. You would know what would upset people. You would know what would cause offence. You'd know what would set hairs running. However, the good news is that within 24 hours, there have been discussions between the senior leadership of the union, Dave Ward, General Secretary, and the DGS, Terry Pullinger, and the regulator, the government, uh, even with Rico Back, uh, Royal Mail's chief executive, who is notoriously unwilling to engage directly with the union. And they'd got all the reassurances they needed with regards to their members' terms and conditions. So two ways of looking at this, I guess, aren't they? Was it, uh, was it a try-on? Was it a management trial to see if they could kind of get away with it? Well, if it was, they've been pushed back very firmly. Or was it just, uh, was it more cock up than conspiracy, basically? Just, a, just an accident. The fact that the senior stakeholders, the senior stakeholders, made themselves available, engaged in dialogue, that's clearly a really good thing. And it does suggest that maybe this was not the malevolent act uh, that, that Terry Pullinger feared it was in that Facebook Live broadcast. But, you know, in these troubled times, we've got to be so careful. We've always got to look to, di to dialogue and be wary of the unintended consequences of what, of what might be done, because otherwise it's going to make recovery so much harder. The COVID crisis, of course, brings many, many challenges for unions and our members. And one of them is making sure that the various government schemes to protect income and jobs during this period are are working properly and not to the detriment intended or otherwise uh, of the people they're supposed to assist. So I was really interested to see that the Scottish Trade Union Congress, the STUC, uh, launched a thing that they called Payday Check. Um, it coincided with the last Friday in April. Last Friday of the month is, of course, payday uh, for many people, whether they're paid monthly, weekly, fortnightly, four weekly, whatever. And it was also the first day on which many people who have been furloughed 
under the coronavirus job retention scheme um, will have received their, their, you know, will have been paid for the first time. Of course, it's the employer who gets the 80% of the payback from government to subsidise them, them paying their, their, their workforce. But the key thing that the STUC was saying was, look, we're in new territory here. It's, it's illegal to make deductions from anyone's pay unless they've been clearly communicated and uh, agreed or justified by some other uh, other legal legal means. So it's really important for people to check their pay slips, check they're getting paid the right amount. But this, you know, brings into into view a whole range of issues to do with people being paid and making sure they know they've been paid and they've been paid legally. Because, of course, a lot of pay slips are now online. Well, kind of, that's great, assuming you can get online to check your pay slip. Uh, you're, are you being paid correctly for the hours you're, you're, you're working? This is a big problem that we see whenever the national minimum wage or the national living wage goes up. Sometimes employers are slow to make the adjustments that they need to to make sure the pay is legal. And of course, one of the things that Matthew Taylor, in his report about modern working practices, which is now a couple of years old, isn't it? Um, one of the points he made is it's really important for people to have clarity about how many hours they've worked and what they've been paid for it. So they can make sure that they're paid within the the realms of what it is, what is legal. So, so kudos to the STUC, a really good initiative, really timely, really important. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see the Low Pay Commission's um, annual report on non-compliance, non-compliance with the national minimum wage, national living wage. And I think that will reinforce the message that it's really, really important for people to not only have the information readily available about what their employer says they're paying them and what the hours are that are represented by that, but there's good enforcement as well. But now to our featured guest for this episode. Uh, it was a great pleasure, as always, to spend some time talking with Andrew uh, about a variety of subjects. We started off looking at rebranding. Prospect has just finished a big rebranding exercise. Now, if you think this is something that's, that's kind of not relevant for, for unions, let me let me put this to you, right? We want both our members and the rest of the world to know what we're about, don't we? Yeah? That good work is important, collectivism and community spirit is more important than undiluted and uncaring individualism, that workers are entitled to health, safety, fair pay, job security, that, you know, we get things done, we give people a voice. All these are very positive things that we want the world to know about. But we want, in fact, we need people to get this as easily as possible. We just don't have the time or resources to engage every individual in debate about what we do and how we do it. So branding, I think, for the trade union movement can provide that quick link and give us greater reach. That's the starting point, I think, for the conversation. But we didn't just talk about branding because a couple of months ago, Andrew put out a real kind of cry to arms, call to arms. He, uh, as lockdown was, was was announced, and obviously it's changing the whole way in which we live our lives, at least for the time being, then uh, he said, OK, how, what, what are the ideas that are out there? How are we going to get through this? Send me your ideas, he, he, he said. And I was keen to talk to him about what response he got to that. Here he is. Well, um, now it's my pleasure, listeners, to welcome to the Union Juice podcast, Andrew Pakes. Andrew, hello. Hello, Simon. Hope you're well. I like what I am indeed. I am indeed. I hope you are surviving lockdown and COVID and so on well, well enough. Listeners, I should explain that for those who don't know, that Andrew is the Director of Communications and Research and is it and policy as well at Prospect? I will take communications and research. That feels greedy enough a title as it is. 
<laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm delighted uh, that, that Andrew's accepted the, the invitation to come on to, onto the show, which was issued before COVID kind of, kind of spilled o- over everything because Prospect have recently undergone a, a sort of root and branch rebranding exercise. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I believe that branding is very important in terms of public recognition of trade unions and how trade unions feel about themselves. So I'm really interested, Andrew, to find out why it was that Prospect, which by kind of any, by any measure has to be regarded as a successful union, why it felt necessary to, to rebrand, how you went about doing it, you know, what were there any surprises along the way, anything that worked particularly well or not as well as you hoped? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for inviting me on. I know it's all of us are, are learning to work in different ways. So I'm coming to you live from my comfiest brown armchair in, in our back room, uh, having found that to be a good place to, to do some of these conversations uh, with you. I also think you might be my therapy. Uh, I'm really pleased to be able to <laughs> our branding and others, but uh, I seem to have spent about three hours on Zoom this morning and spend all my time on different meetings. So the ability to talk to you for a podcast rather than uh, zoom is a great thing and the chance to kind of have some bandwidth in this conversation to think about the future and talk about bigger projects is is really welcome i don't know if there's an i don't know if there's a word for this yet but i i feel i've got zoom eyes during yeah this. i think I, I think everyone everyone who's who's been working in this way for the last three four weeks would absolutely understand what you mean by by zoom eyes the, Definitely. Uh, And I kind of think think Zoom eyes becomes a a greater problem the more advanced in years one is. Not that either of us are particularly advanced, (laughs) I hasten to add. Um, But but I find when I've been, my Zoom eyes means that, you know, my eyes feel like they're out on stalks and I can't refocus and it takes quite a while to, to, to get over it. Um, yeah, and I, and I think the real challenge for us at the moment working like this is that for us as a union that, you know, we might be working from home, but demand has not gone, gone down. We've got an increase in calls to our call centre. We've got more people viewing our advice pages online than ever before. And we might come in to talk about this, our prospect live, our webinars and live events of, you know, we've got greater level of engagement. So we're running into the wind faster than ever, but doing it in, in remotely in, in new ways. Um, and what that means is you don't really have time to reflect on things very much. You know, we don't, we're just, we're dealing with the here and now rather than some of the, the bigger picture items which I think is a good start for why do we bother doing this branding? Because branding isn't always top of the trade union list of demands. I've never seen a placard that says, what do we want? A new brand and better logo. <laughs> uh, that no, has never me. taken to the streets of embankment. But actually, it's, pretty, you know, it's important to us in terms of our DNA. We, when I joined prospect came back in to work for union again it was just at the start of the you know the new life for the prospect family with the Beck two sector coming into us uh, and us being you know what we always say one union two brands so the starting point was quite simple for us which was how can you know this is about doing our job better so it wasn't about you know some desire from up high that uh, we need a new lick of paint on the front door or on the website. It was more part of a, a bigger conversation with our national executive, with our branches and reps around what tools do we need to do to get across our values and to work with new people. Now, clearly the brand isn't all of that, but it is one part of it, you know, and 
the branding project happened mostly in 2019. So that was two and a half, three years into the merger with the Beck2 sector. And what we wanted to do was create a shared family feel across our work whilst right. projecting and protecting both brands. You know, so I think we tried to do something slightly different than some mergers in the past. We, you know, we felt this was a coming together of minds between the creative industry and the back to sector and our other sectors. We didn't feel there was a sudden need to, you know, create some uh, new name uh, and rename both parts. We thought, you know, the back to back to is a name that's important in creative industries. So why can't we do a merger and keep that? So we wanted to work with the things that mattered to members uh, and had some industrial muscle. Or relevance in those areas and put those two different bits together. The most important part of the rebrand to us was ensuring that we could create something that worked for Bet2 and Prospect and allowed us to tell our story in a very rapidly changing world of work. So our existing brands, our website and materials have served us well. We were doing good things as Bet2 and Prospect. Uh, in our first years of merger we bucked the trend of some you know, of the union movement and we saw we'd seen a net growth in working members so we were doing some you know doing the right things uh, in many ways but we we're also very much aware that you know the world of work was changing our brand our products how we communicated with people kind of came from a point before the tablet and ipad were commonplace you know one of the challenges for us as a, as a branding project was how to do this quickly because we didn't want to spend lots of time and members money on it but equally how to do it at the right speed so that we could involve branches and members and uh, lay leadership in these conversations so that we all felt part of you know we were all the storytellers rather than just being dreamt up by the comms department or something else yeah. that, so that must have must sorry to cut across you, that must have meant though that that from the get-go this wasn't top down or bottom up but it was actually there, there was there was enthusiasm and and, and a getting it and why it's important and relevant coming from the top down and from the bottom up which creates a, a sort of positive momentum to, to go on to the next stage yeah we we i think we had a, a you know a mission that was shared across the union which is you know coming together as a new union we wanted to forge the new story in our back to sector we've got a significant number of freelancers and others who who see the world of work changing very quickly that's similarly impacting our members in in other prospect sectors so our members experience change uh, know that our traditional values are important but we've got to reach people in different ways so this was part of how do we do that so we took the mission which is how do we create this new shared story for the union um, with some evidence so you know at the time we started around 70% of our members were joining online either mm -hmm. via the prospect or back to websites is now 80%. So just as consumer trends have changed with people shopping online, people wanting to access services in different ways or get hold of people in different you know, quicker ways, we kind of needed the, the brand and digital services to match the times. You know, and I think we're very aware that, you know, of our challenge common amongst unions to reach out to a younger generation, to put ourselves in the needs of our potential members as much as the needs of our veteran members and how we could put those two parts together. So it was kind of about reaching new audiences. We tried to do this in a, in a different way. 
we had some branding people work with us but very much we ensured that the process was owned by our national executive committee so we had a, a working group of our leadership involved in this uh, and we took you know one half of the project was was really doing that reflecting and learning with members about what's important to them about the union which of our values speak to them how do we how do we recruit new people how do we bring new how do we bring more people into the family and what stories and messages and ideas resonate with them based on where they are and collated that into almost a storyboard which allowed yeah. us to play around with understand work through the different priorities that different parts of our union had and bring that together in a kind of consensus that would work for prospect and our back to creative divisions you know and that was you know that's turned out to be not just about branding it's led us down uh, further projects on our digital renewal the infrastructure we need is uh, we need to talk about so there's you know there's some really big important pieces of work which have come from branding so it was you know it was the start of a journey rather than the end right okay now I, I get the the iterative nature of the project but I mean it, for my money it's you know it's worked very very effectively because although trade union aficionados will know exactly what I'm talking about you see you see the yellow and green of prospect Mm-hmm. but it's a it's a yellow and red for back to but you know it's part of the same family and that's to do with the font it's to do with the, the way in which the the two halves of the logo are colored and shaded it's 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 a very subtle but effective thing i think yeah well thank you for saying that i think we worked hard with our you know executives and our membership to try and bring that together we wanted something that people wherever they sat within the union could see they were part of something bigger but also we could reflect in that the, the needs of different networks, sectors, back to all different parts of it. Um, and I think you know, that's what we try to do. And I think we don't live in an era of monoliths. People want content and services tailored to them. So absolutely right. We should keep the back to brand because it worked. But equally, people want to feel part of a larger group as well so we try to bring the two bits together this larger vision around what prospect is uh, and that great diverse set of membership but also within that the ability to speak to different sectors in the industry which connects with them yeah no i get that i i get that and i understand exactly why that's important but i also think there's an organizing dividend to be had with with effective branding because potential members don't need to see the whole logo they perhaps just need to see part of it uh, either with or without any lettering or anything like that and one hopes that that they immediately connect what they're seeing with the union but more importantly with a set of values that resonates with them yeah i mean that was the aim you know this was the first time we've designed a set of materials that's a logo font colors but also the the design structure was put together to work in a digital format so that we were really thinking about how would this work on a smartphone if someone's just yeah. someone's got a question about work should their employer be doing this is that right and wrong and they want to look at it there and then on their phone it's optimized and it works well for them but equally it works on the leaflet it can work as a framing for a video but you know but previously everything had been you know we were like fleet street and everything was designed for the you know the print engines of the trade union movement which produced some really brilliant engaging great content but actually if 
if all your design is set up for you know a printed publication it may not have the agile flexibility you need for video instagram different communication channels well i mean regular regular listeners to this podcast will will know will recall from our very first episode the the, the stat that now the majority of the workforce are smartphone natives or millennials whatever description you want to you want to use and their expectations about life is that they work as well as the best of their smartphone apps and you know you you know we can't as a movement we can't be an analog oasis in a digital age we have to i mean obviously we have people who are used to analog and feel more comfortable with it we have to accommodate and work work to their needs as well as the needs of of people who are more inclined to the digital way of doing things yeah and that, that remains one of the big challenges for us and i think the movement as a whole which is you know we we are heritage organizations you know and we should always remember and understand where we've come from in terms of victories and successes we've had but with that heritage also become you know, also comes ways of working which may not be uh, you know as agile or as fast-paced as you know some of the more modern techniques so we've got to learn how to blend those things you know we've got a membership who increasingly want to find answers for themselves and go online and get it or they want to speak to someone or they want to create their you know their own communities of interest in dealing with things now you can view that two ways you cannot view that either as you know that's a real direct challenge to uh, workplace democracy the involvement of unions and structures or you can view that as a complement and how do we make these things work together and we're definitely in the latter campus of union you know, none of this is about undermining our democracy or the lay leadership and how members are in the driving seat of setting our, you know, aims, objectives and policy frameworks. But we do need to look at other ways. And we, you know, we started out on something which was about a brand, how we tell our story, but it's led us into other directions of how can members get involved? What does being involved mean? You know, we're currently talking in a situation where virtually no one could even go to a branch meeting uh, even if they wanted to because most of us are, are you know either working from home working remotely or working you know in very different socially distant circumstances where you can't get together with people yes but equally even when we could meet and you know before the crisis then increasingly there was a number of people who maybe they didn't work on the thursday when the branch meeting happened Yes, indeed. Or maybe their shift patterns were different, or maybe they were home working or working flexibly. Uh, maybe going home a bit early to pick up their child was more important than coming to a union meeting. You know, and that's uh, and that's not a value judgment on any decisions. It's just the pressures on people's everyday lives are changing, yes, uh, and indeed. work patterns are changing. Offices are becoming more diffuse. There's more work spread across different places. So you know. Our building block as a movement has been on the workplace and the branch and then building across to bigger union democracy. We know in many circumstances that's not the same anymore. So how do we develop mechanisms which protect and enhance democracy but also provide other ways for people to get involved? And that's the kind of project work we're in now. How do we develop the infrastructure as a union which allows people to have a voice even if they can't attend the meeting. Yeah, and, and also so that their voice is properly weighed and their, and the content is properly considered because, of course, you can't prioritise 
one way of making a decision over another if you're going to have an equality of of the way power is distributed in the union i guess that i mean that's a, a fascinating a fascinating mm. task yeah you know, and it's been brilliant you know there's been some bumps along the way um you know deadlines sometimes aren't met in all of this but you know overall i think we delivered a big project uh, well We've created a new look and feel, which is which is really important to how we think about ourselves as a union, has brought the different parts of the family together uh, and, and continues to give us some really nice, refreshed tools to work with members, recruit new members uh, and continue to build our power in the workplace. Many, many years ago, I had a discussion about union rationalisation with the late, great, in my view, Roger Poole, who was the Assistant General Secretary at NUPI. And of course, NUPI, yep. Cozy and Nalgo formed, went, got together to form Unison, which at, a, which at the time was just about the biggest union, certainly in the public sector and for a while in the, in the whole of the UK. And I said to Roger, what was the secret? How did you do it? And, and he said to me, the, the key thing was that was that it was agreed that all the iconography, all the old icons of the three unions would not feature in the new, in the new structure and would be put to one side, almost like archived almost. Was a similar sort of process necessary in prospect? Um, we undertook a very, actually we did take, a, you know, not quite on iconography, because I think, you know, both of our, the look and feel of both unions, their websites and others, you know, were in need of a, a bit of a refresh anyway. So there was a sense of that. But actually the first part of this project was the, you know, we did some, we did focus groups with potential members. So people who weren't part of our union, but could be if they were to join. So these were non-union members to talk to them about what they expected of work, how they saw work and their, their hopes and fears. If they had a problem, how would they solve it? What do they think of the union offer? Was a union for them? We did work with branches. We did webinars and sessions with members. We tried a whole host of ways to pick and learn from structured interviews to free-form discussions because mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure we heard what our existing members had to say about what they wanted to feel about their union in terms of its look and feel and we wanted to build on that to pull out the best bits of everything and see right. how we could mesh them together in what's our new look and feel and i think spending a bit of that extra time in the early phase of this listening researching playing back to people what they were telling us was really important in building the trust to understand why we're doing this project. Yes, indeed. Indeed. I, I understand that entirely. Mm. I understand that entirely. Well, we, we spoke a little while ago in this, in this conversation about the fact that now the branding and the, the look and the way the union operates is, is facing a, a really significant stress test uh, in terms of people continuing to work or to manage during the COVID crisis as lockdown was starting Andrew I, I, I saw a post by you on LinkedIn in which you, you you said look this is all going to be terribly different how are we going to survive it what sort of things can we do who's got good ideas for how we can continue to do our job keep good mental health during during these difficult times I mean I, I, I was I was struck by that I think it you wrapped up many dozens of comments on it what 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 were the ideas that came forward from that and what's what's gained traction do you think and what's worked yeah well you know even though we're social distancing and we were very early in understanding what social distancing was at that phase of the crisis i just got a sense that just because we had to be physically apart 
we now have technology which means we can stay close to each other and I think that was the sense I was trying to get to in in some of that early sharing I did with people there's a, another phrase I, I picked up last year which I've taken to heart and I think it's quite important which is yeah, I really believe we all need to be movement generous and I think sometimes in our busy lives uh, in you know in the union movement because you know there's always more tasks to be done in a day and a week than there is time to do it you know responding to member concerns the injustice that you know and problems members are facing that we have to deal with but what I've learned from being part of and working with other bits of the union movement in different countries and different locations i think they share stuff a lot more than we do as british unions oh interesting, so I, interesting. yeah mm. I, I think we we sometimes get so caught up in dealing with our immediate challenges we don't share stuff so i really believe we should be movement generous uh, and outside of unions as well i think you know we we are not the unique repository of everything that happens to our members so if you look at some of the best community organizing some of the great work at different ngos i think we should see ourselves in that broader context of progressive organizations trying to give voice to people and create agency over our own destinies and things happening to us so i just wanted to put out there and have those conversations connect with people not just in unions but in other places about you know what what tips do people have for people who've been in similar circumstances? Could they share things about how we stay in touch? How can we, you know, create a moment? I think there was a real risk when this started that we'd people would retreat our staff teams, our workforces would retreat into home working, and our workforces, you know, would be distant from each other that we'd lose that sense of solidarity you know i think we get that very powerfully as unions that that sense of belonging that sense that you're not on your own is a really important part of who we are and our dna absolutely people really come is. together and that can be you know and uh, i never cease to be amazed at that you know when i do workplace visits or take part in campaigns with members of that you know that electricity that goes through some of those conversations face to face chatting to people the, the the care the diligence of union volunteers to help their colleagues with casework and stand up for them and seek solutions you know that's amazing but it often operates on a very much one-to-one -one personal relationship people seeing each other the social capital is quite critical to a lot of those processes um, and it's a people business we are people who bring other people together and that could be quite difficult if you're suddenly you know sat in you know kitchen tables living rooms back offices if you're in shared accommodation how do, how do people feel that they are still connected so i put it out there and we, we've done work with different unions with unions 21 with the workers education association um i've just earlier today been part of a a members live event we've done with the Institute of Future of Work talking about what happens post this crisis mm. of just finding mm. different techniques where we can bring members together and kind of collectivize our experience and feel that solidarity um, you know and on the upside we're bringing people together on the downside as we said earlier my eyes are popping out from too many zoom conversations and it's we're still finding the balance what works you know yeah big events small events chatting to people you know what what are your tips 
and you know and interesting you know we we call them prospect live or back to live webinars would be another way to describe them we're just trying to put on some topical things you know we've had thousands of members now since the crisis began take part in union activities in a way that we've never done before mm. so for many people a webinar may not be the height of innovation but it's a way of working that we've never tried before on a big scale uh, and we're now you know able to deliver things it turns out actually you don't need to send a speaker on a train to go to a location to deliver stuff we can bring people together so if you look yeah. through let me give you some examples of the events we've done in recent weeks we've done you know we've done some really important live sessions for members on the government's freelance income protection scheme the coronavirus job retention scheme yes. just talking through the details of what that means answering questions putting our in-house experts at the direct disposal of members for questions answers setting priorities you know often we've had 500 people a pop on some of those sessions so really big you know and actually in many ways bigger than you would do in a traditional branch meeting and again that's not saying either's better it's just saying there are different ways we can reach people now compared to what we may have had three or four years ago we've done some brilliant lgbt and equality networks enabling members who have an interest in equalities to talk to each other about what does this mean now we've repurposed some of our existing content so uh, one of our most popular pages is our yeah the top tips on home working both for well-being and for health and safety mm -hmm. uh, and actually some of our early sessions of how how you stay together you know how how you make it work for you and your family and with colleagues was were some of our most popular sessions so i can imagine i can imagine yes yeah you know we've we've got a, a thing called thought exchange which is like a live ranking survey software at the moment which is currently asking members to engage on their top tips for balancing working from home with childcare and we got right. uh, when i looked this morning several hundred members giving tips and wow. making suggestions and what each other's saying so we can kind of crowdsource the real life of experience of our members and then craft that into materials we can share back with yes. other members yes. you know so some of those relatively simple digital tools are actually allowing members to have almost a real-time say over the things that matter to them and we're able to then reconfigure our work to deliver members the things they need yes. so you know clearly yes. we're doing helping with negotiations and dealing with employers but we're trying as best we can to make sure we are anchored in and listening to the needs of our members as they currently are and then turning our content and turning our communications and engagement into something that actually serves that needs and help helps to bring them together yeah i have to say i think the 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 impact of covid on member engagement uh obviously the trade union movement because that's where we, we're both rooted but i'm sure for membership organizations generally has been profound and i i think it's it has the potential to kind of radically reshape what the world looks like when it comes to engagement with members when when we get to back to some degree of normality i'd say the other point that really struck me on this is that technology has been really important in bringing people together but actually technology is the means it's not the end uh, and i think sometimes over the last few years we've been obsessed with the technology and not with the purpose it can do so actually what absolutely. i found absolutely I, yeah it's true isn't it and what i found 
you know, what has really exhilarated me, what I found so empowering during this is not just unions, but the COVID aid groups, the WhatsApp group for streets, the way that neighbours and friends are creating networks to stay in touch with each other, to help out elderly or vulnerable friends or relatives get food, to just share some top tips. Uh, on my street, we swap lettuce seeds and tomato seeds and we now have a secondary market and use jigsaws. But all of those things actually come to the sense that in all of this, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, even though we are further apart than we've been physically, it almost feels like this is an age of humanity that's coming back together. And I well, think that's I, the sense we've got to capture. Yeah, I think so. I mean, anyone who stood on their doorsteps or balconies on a Thursday evening at eight o'clock and participated yeah. or witnessed the clap for, for carers thing, it is quite astonishing. The, the energy that you can feel in the air around you is phenomenal. But of course, what that translates into post-COVID is, is very much very much up for grabs certainly but i do take your point the the technology is the technology is is not the thing it's not the silver bullet the, the kind of silver bullet if you like is the is the the traffic that is going through that channel the the human interaction uh, and the you know the determination to maintain human interaction in, despite the the constrained circumstances yeah, you know, and trade union organisers are the best organisers I've ever met anywhere I've been in the world or, uh, you know, and I've come across. And I think we've got to work out how we use that determination and organising ability to make sure we keep as much of this energy level about bringing people together, about humanity and values trumping economic decisions or some of the other bad stuff in this and make sure they become the organizing principles for securing the outcomes from this crisis and so say all of us the crazy thing is that, that uh, on the one on the one level you know you could say there is more interaction with people than, than there, there is usually as you say you can get 50 100 150 even more people on on say a mass zoom call and you can have a really high level of interaction much more than you would at a branch meeting mm -hmm. uh, and and the nature of that interaction is is the normal stuff, the normal stuff of human human beings and human society. But actually, we are living in the most phenomenally unprecedented times, and who knows how these things will progress. Which is why it's important. I, I think that 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 you and unions such as yours are, you know, are thinking kind of as strategically as you can about not just meeting the needs of members now, but what that looks like going forward. Oh, absolutely, and I think that's you know, you know eyes always on the prize and the prize is creating agency and power for working people through our members to have some control over the things that happen in their lives you know and this we're going through a you know something which i don't think any of us could have imagined at christmas 2019 compared to what's happened at easter 2020 but, you know, we've got to use that organising drive we've got to to help rebuild things coming out of this so that we we build on the best of the things we know, bring people together and achieve justice. That's great. Andrew, thank you very much indeed for spending time with the Union Juice podcast. Uh, stay safe and, and well. And perhaps we'll, we'll meet up on the other side and, and we can review how it's gone from this point forwards. We can. We can rest our Zoom eyes and raise a real-life <laughs> real life pint together. Thank you very much, Simon. Good to see you're safe and well. Good. Take care. Thanks. Well, I think that was really good stuff. I think that the stuff about crowdsourcing the human resources of the union, about being responsive to members, about membership engagement, above, above all, 
the line that Andrew came up with where he said, what does this mean now? What do all the things we hold dear, all the things we're used to doing, what, what, what do they mean? How do they work now in these difficult set of circumstances, unprecedentedly difficult set of circumstances? So I'd welcome your views. What have you experienced in terms of rebranding exercises or the need for, for branding as whole? What's worked in this time of coronavirus in terms of keeping in touch? What hasn't worked so well? Tell me, unionjews at makesyouthink.com. Tweet us at jewsunion. Let us know. We'll get you on the show in a future episode. We can carry on the discussion. Now, Unions 21 are running a series of virtual masterclasses, uh, all web-based, of course, as things must be at the, uh, at the present time. And the most recent one was about how you communicate in a crisis. Uh, I asked uh, Unions 21 director Becky Wright for her take on how the event went. So we've been doing a whole range of uh, webinars, masterclasses for union staff on various aspects related to making the move over given the crisis. And today's session we've just had was on engaging members through the crisis. So how do you have effective messaging during this particular period of time? Um, how do you make sure that your members know what the union position is? How do they feed back into the union position? Um, and especially for unions with frontline workers, how do they make sure that members know the health and safety policies, the government guidance and how it relates to them, but also how do they shape it? Well, that's the challenge. What, yeah. uh, what were the main takeaways? Well, that it's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, it's been really interesting having the discussions on these Thursdays at 10 o'clock where we can kind of unpick some of it. And every session has, has given us some really good learning opportunities. And in this one, what I've really taken away is, is sort of two things is that especially with what the CSPs, the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy were saying is that yes, this isn't business as usual in the sense that, um, you know, their traffic to their website has changed, their members, um, they've gone from weekly emails to daily e emails of members and the content that members are looking for is slightly different. But they're broadly, they're doing the same sort of stuff, just more of it. Mm -hmm. So it's all of the sorts of actions and values that underpin their work is is continuing as it always was. It just happens to be at a much more of a, of a breakneck speed. And how you know, while no nobody's perfect, it's really showing the importance of a whole team approach to all of this, and that the internal approach that a union takes is really, really important making sure everybody's seeing from the same hymn sheet that the right hand knows what the left hand uh, is doing and just sort of being open to adaptations bit by bit and with uh, david wilson from the uh, national education union they were talking which i found really quite profound about how um they treated this as a campaign as something that they needed to try not to be buffeted by all the winds of change and try to kind of create the discussions and climate around schools, school closures and then school um, openings and how they responded to the analytics they had around the kind of content that they were doing, how they've also seen this as an opportunity as the CSP did to kind of be in a better shape 
as an organization after this so they've been like so both unions have just got on the phone to reps and talked to reps and supported them and asked them what their main challenges were and what what they were hearing on the ground and feeding that back they were using uh, and the NEU especially has done a lot of town halls and uh, videos of with their general secretaries talking about what's going on, but also using as an opportunity to develop local leadership and to install local negotiations. So they've been getting their reps to also be part of that kind of video content. So it's been it, it's on both sides. It's been really, really interesting to kind of see a strategic approach to this using content that works for members and having it whenever members need it and also um, at the same time being willing to adapt given kind of the experiences and the feedback they get from members well, that's, that's encouraging and i mean this was this was all shared in the space of about 50 minutes i, I believe 55 yeah. zero yeah that's, yeah that's, that's <laughs> time well spent <laughs> Listen, if, if, if listeners want to sign up for these masterclasses in the future because i understand that it's pretty much a, a regular feature not ad infinitum but there are a few more in the pipeline what where should they go what yeah. should they do so the best place to go is to the unions 21 website which is unions 21.org.uk forward slash events and they can sign up via the crowdcast platform which is what we're we're using they can follow us on crowdcast as well and then every time we uh, start a new uh, set of webinars they'll get an automatic update on that brilliant brilliant becky thanks very much thanks simon well listeners that's just about it for this episode thank you so much for your company it's been great to spend time with you if you like what you hear if you've got ideas for what should be on the show if there are things that you think didn't work so well and you wouldn't want to hear again then do let me know union jews at makes you think.com tweet us at jews union if you could rate us on the podcasting platform of your choice that would be great we, you know a few good ratings and reviews does wonders for uh, for the profile of the show and reach is all important in this crowded space if you head over to the makes you think website you'll find a companion blog and in that blog you'll find all the links and directions and signposting you need to follow up any of the things that we've been discussing over the last half hour or so We'll be back in a couple of weeks when our special guest will be Claire Copeman from the TUC, who leads on the TUC's youth engagement work. Absolutely vitally important stuff. I'm sure you won't want to miss it. In the meantime, stay well, stay safe, stay indoors if you can. All the best and see you soon. Bye for now. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a makes you think production.